Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you, worship team, and thanks, church family, for being here. Good morning, and today is a special day as we uh, come to the pinnacle of the message series we've been in. We've called Chasing Humility, has been our, our pursuit this year. Today we come to the place where we find it, and I pray, hope it will be a place you return to again and again. It's a uh, walking through an open door that, that God invites us into and into, the, into His presence. We'll be working our way through Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and we see this invitation of God into His throne room in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where John, the Apostle John writes, after this, I looked and before me there was a door standing open in heaven. And a voice I had heard at first, we know this is the voice of Jesus speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And so God, through his word, points to an open door and then invites us in, come and I will show you what is to come. It's here by means of uh, God's word that he invites us into the, the splendor of his throne room and just to, to context where we are in the book of Revelation, we, uh, Revelation chapter 1 opens with a picture of our risen Lord and just this beautiful reality that we serve a risen Lord, the King of Kings, and He's in complete control now, and you see that in Revelation 1, but then it moves into a sobering picture in Revelation 2 and 3 where the King is walking through His churches and he's evaluating them, and he's encouraging where he sees good things happening, but he's also uh, confronting where he sees wrong and where he sees sin. And we exit chapter 3 with the church of Laodicea, the passage where Jesus says, uh, you are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold in your devotion to me, and I would rather spit you out of my mouth. Repent and follow me with all of your heart is his calling. And so that leads us into this moment where um, John sees this open door in heaven and the Lord saying, come, I will show you what will, what will take place. Before we walk through this open door, just a, a quick word of uh, helpful interpretation, how, how to interpret Revelation. Sometimes Revelation can be a little confusing and, and, and spooky in terms, or scary in terms of how, what in the world's going on. We, we see all these word pictures and these images that we struggle to, to understand and one of the challenges, one of the gifts of Revelation is God has John use uh, a literary technique, word, word pictures, metaphors, to help us grasp what is transcendent and what we, we cannot even wrap our minds around in this dimension. In the dimension of heaven, we, we, it would be similar to if, if this week my SIM card on my cell phone went out, and so I had to go you know, get the replacement at AT&T and can you imagine trying to explain to someone that predicament who lived in the first century, even to explain a phone, which that word did not even exist in their thinking, and then a SIM card. How would you explain a SIM card? You'd have to, in their dimension, you'd have to word, use their language and words that they understood. That's what will be going on, and I'll, I'll walk us through some of these. It's uh, one of the challenges in interpreting Revelation is 
taking what is meant to be literal in a figurative way or what's meant to be figurative in a literal way. And that's where you get some, a variety of, of views and interpretive views, but there's usually a majority view that lines up with, in a, as a rule, we take the simple meaning of the text. So when it, unless it is clearly a figurative meaning, you, you go with the literal meaning. So I'll walk us through these, but, but God has an intention that we keep a big picture uh, concept that he wants us to understand and feel that is very clear. So when you get confused, don't be discouraged. It's the, the big picture is very clear, and, and I'll, I'll try to draw that out. But a quick preview where we're going as we walk through this open door, John will take us through five scenes. And really, Revelation chapter 4 and 5 go together. You, you don't want to separate them. Revelation chapter 4, the first two scenes, set the stage for the drama that will, unplay, that will unfold in Revelation chapter 5. So there's two scenes in four. Then there's this strange moment, an unsettling moment that happens at the start of chapter 5. And then we see the resolution to that, um, that problem that occurs. And then the final scene is where today we are going to be participants in that scene. And that's where we're going and really this whole... Uh, this whole text leads us, but this whole year leads us to this place where we will join the anthem of heaven together. And so we're going to leave a little longer time at the end of our, our time just to worship and, and to praise God together. But we'll, uh, if you would, join me again in prayer, just asking God for help as we turn to his word. Father, we, uh, we kneel in your presence now and just thank you that we can call you Father know that you care for us, you delight in us, and, and we thank you that you're doing a work of transformation in each of our hearts through your word. And so this morning, as we enter your presence through your word at the throne room, we pray that you would give each one of us a glimpse of your glory that would create in us a humility that would lead to a life that brings you glory. And God, we know that you're at work every moment of our days, and you are transforming us in the grind, but we also know that you, you work through moments, and so we pray this moment of worship together would, would be holy, would be something that you do a work that only you can do in each of our hearts, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we walk through the door, the first scene that emerges is the, the splendor of God's throne room, and you, if you circle, if you're reading along in your Bible, circle throne, and you'll just see it hit again and again. It's the, what God wants us to see is just the transcendent beauty, glory, majesty of his throne room. And we, uh, it, we begin reading there in verse 2. John says, at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there, had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like emerald and circled the throne. Notice as he describes God's appearance, he doesn't even go with any sort of form, human form. He, he goes with light and, and splendid light. I think about, you remember as kids when we looked through the kaleidoscope and you get a sense of that's, he's, he's grabbing jewels and the, the uh, first jewel is um, scholars feel that Jasper was, was like a diamond where light just hits that thing and then psh, 
um, brilliant and almost too much to look at, and then the, the ruby, and then the rainbow, you know, encircling the throne and the, the emerald. A picture of, remember, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, God dwells in an unapproachable light. In Psalm 104, 2, it says he clothes himself with light. Just a picture of his transcendent beauty and glory, majesty surrounding the throne. Verse 4, there were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And several views around this, some, it's a, minor, a minority view holds that this might have been um, ranks of angels, angelic beings, and there's some evidence the word elder is used of angels in Isaiah, but I think the, the majority view in, in my interpretation would be um, based on that, the word elder is used primarily of humans, and these are the redeemed who have been given positions of authority in God's kingdom. And I love, we don't know this for sure, but we see this as imagery, again, the, 20, the number 24 in Revelation 21 and 22, representing the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And one of the things scholars struggle to put together is, how does Israel and the church fit together in God's big picture, his big kingdom? And I, I can't help but think God's hinting that, hey, I'll work that out. <laughs> but these are, I, I think, a picture of the 12 tribes, 12 uh, apostles that he said, you will reign, their authority, at symbols of their authority. And what are they doing there? Um, they have, they're dressed in white, that symbol of overcoming and righteous, a righteous life through Christ. And then the crowns of gold on their heads, the rewards. And then verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And you feel the multi-sensory effect, which would drop you to your knees. In this culture, the, the most, uh, really this is the highest degree of, of power that you could, in the natural world. This was before nuclear explosions. I can imagine if John were writing today, you might, you know, talk about just, what do, you know when a thunderstorm comes and you see it coming and, and you just wonder, oh wow, or think about Hurricane Ian and just all this power and, and that kind of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder um, in God's presence, representing his power. In front of the throne were seven lamps blazing. These were the seven spirits of God. This refers to God's revealing of himself, light. He, and we know God uh, self-discloses through his spirit. And um, this is that image of God um, revealing who he is to his creation. Verse 6, and, it, and also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Picture of perfect calm in God's presence. We know throughout uh, apocalyptic literature, but also when Jews would write of sea, it wasn't necessarily a positive thing. We love the ocean. They thought of sea as a chaotic thing and really a symbol of um, what's wrong with the world. We know in Revelation 21, 22, the sea will be gone, John says, and it's not a picture of, of uh, hydraulic and, and uh, aqua leaving, but rather it's a picture of wrong being gone. We know there will be a river, and, and um, I'm sure there will be, God will do all kinds of amazing things with H2O if, if he wants to on the other side. But what he's saying here is even the sea is calm in God's presence and, and part of the splendor of the throne room. In the center of the throne, or in the, in the center around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. And this is where you have to, 
catch yourself, we want to picture this, but you can't draw this, and, and he's not wanting to draw it. He's giving us a, a word picture that describes a transcendent concept, and the concept is intelligence. When you see eyes in, in a revelation, think knowledge, and, and um, here just incredible knowledge. The, uh, who are these creatures? The first, th- these are, uh, represent the I love the way D.A. Carson says it. They represent the transcendent administration of God's majesty, likely cherubim. Remember, Lucifer was a cherubim. But these are those who carry out the calling of Almighty God, his administration. They are the worship leaders of heaven. And uh, say, well, what do they look like? And the first living creature was uh, like a lion. And again, what he's getting at is not the form of a lion we think of, but rather the majesty of a lion, the glory and the sovereignty of of God's rule. The second was like an ox. The ox in this culture represented stability and strength, and this is the stability of God's kingdom. It's it's here, and it's not moving. The third was like the face of a man. um, In this time, among created order, humans were the top of the intelligence, and so this represents that intelligence and that wisdom of God's rule. And then the fourth was like a flying eagle, the eagle representing swiftness to carry out or execute the commands of the king. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around its wings. So again, the, the picture of intelligence, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And so this first song, it's interesting, four of these scenes uh, erupt into a song, and this first song is the song of the angels. Holy, holy, holy. These incredible creatures crying to God. Holy, holy, holy. What, what do they mean by holy? And that word holy means literally separate or a, a, a cut apart, different than us. It, it's that idea of... Uh, he is not like us. And you say, how is he not like us? In every category, they, they repeat it three times to bring emphasis. He is holy, 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 infinitely above us in every way. They re- use the word holy, holy, holy two, three times. Scholars believe to, to speak to the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each holy, each God, three but one. But how are they holy? And we see in this song, they are holy in or our God is holy in his power, he is almighty, but he is also holy in his eternality, who was and is and is to come. So guys, how is God infinitely above us and every other creature in the universe, including these cherubim? He doesn't have a beginning. He always was. We, every creature that exists, has a start, and our God does not. These creatures fall down in light of of that reality. The second scene, John's eyes shift to, are from the angels to the humans, to the the elders there in verse 9. And he says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, 
you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The scene that you could uh, hang over, or the caption that, that you could hang over this scene is crashing crowns and as you see these gold crowns crashing at the, the foot of the throne, as you see these elders, these people that have power, 24 of them falling down, but what do you notice about it? And it's a picture of humility, isn't it? Just complete and utter humility. What, what God is getting at through John as he writes about the crowns is the picture of there are thrones in this world. We, we think about all the leaders in our world, the most powerful people, you know, the presidents and the, the dictators and all these people. There are thrones upon thrones upon thrones, but all these thrones continue to come in in concentric circles until you have 24 thrones who have been given power by God, but yet even these thrones must submit to the one throne. When a king would conquer another king, one of the uh, symbols of that, uh, that conquering, and one of the, the, it was a ceremony, the, the king that had been conquered would take off his throne, which represented his power and authority, and he would place it before the king who had conquered him. It's a picture of total submission to the king of kings. He is worthy, and as his people, we Submit before him, and he is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. Any power that has been given to us, authority or influence, he deserves. But why this anthem? As they're singing, why, why are they singing? And what's at the heart of their worship? What's leaving them on their knees in these crowns, these crowns uh, crashing? And you'll notice that the primary truth that they're focused on is their at the latter part of the verse where he says, you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Everything that exists, exists for one reason and we owe all ourselves, our existence to only one, don't we? And it, it is him. He, they're saying everything, you, you created all things. So you just stop and, and soak in this reality for a minute. Every atom in this universe exist today in this moment because God said let it be <laughs> you just stop and think about that and get outside ourselves and look everything that we have every bit of sunlight that, that's falling every bit of matter that's around us our hearts beating our minds thinking everything that exists you created all things but we owe not only our start, our existence to him, and this is where the song takes us into a humble position before him. Every, it's not like God just started us and said, okay, you exist now. Try to keep yourself alive until, you're about, until you die, and then I'll pick it up and take you to heaven. Every moment of our existence, as they say, and by your will they were created and have their being, we are sustained only by his grace and his will. Why cry you are worthy? Why worship him? Why humbly kneel before him? 
Not only did he create us and all that is, in this moment and in every moment through eternity, we depend wholly and solely on his mercy to keep us alive. Nothing exists outside his authoritative let it be. Moves us to humble worship. I think what is humility? It's living in light of this reality, isn't it? It's coming back to that place of of complete and utter dependence upon him. And what is pride but stepping out and into the insanity of independence. I can keep myself alive and do life apart from him. But then something disturbing happens in heaven. And this is where the drama, so chapter four sets up the the drama. God is worthy of all um, worship. And and yet um, what's coming in chapter five is a surprise. You could call it, you could entitle this tears in heaven, which that's a paradox. Why would there be? It says in, says, then I, I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So what does this scroll represent? It's the, the plans and purposes of God that have not yet played out. So in John's life, th- this is the redemptive plan of God. This is the, uh, his, the plans for the redemption of humanity, the affairs of God, it's sealed. Now, in this ancient world, when, when a king would make a decree, he would seal it. Seven seals, a royal decree, and then um, that, those seals would have to be broken for the plan to, to unveil and to be known and, and lived out. He says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? So you can feel John's the tension as this angel is shouting, really a universal shout. So it's going heaven, earth, Verse 3, but no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. No one was worthy. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look inside. Tears in heaven. You say, why, why is John weeping? It's the prospect of humanity being stuck in the frozen reality that, or the, the dark, under the dark curse that we are. It's that the one who died would not be resurrected. The injustices that we long to see made right and we know will be made right, we hope will be made right, not being made right. It's the wrong ruling, the devil winning, death continuing on, and it's, uh, if no one opens the scroll, we're locked in this place where we are, and so he weeps, and he weeps, but then we come to the hope-filling moment of this scene, and the, uh, an elder, one of the redeemed ones, has a word of hope for John, as he says there in verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's been victorious. And he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And again, our minds go to the lamb, a picture of a lamb, but see Jesus there. That's, he's referring to the lamb of God, but see him with his scars in his hands and his feet and his side as um, signs of his sacrifice for us on the cross. He's encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. So as you see Jesus, the horns in, in Revelation represent power. Seven, perfect power, and he had a, the seven eyes represent his omniscience or his knowledge, limitless intellect, which are the seven spirits of God and sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they, were sing- and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because, why is he worthy? Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. I love this moment as we go from tears, sobs in heaven to the, you could say, a celebration, a new song celebration or a new song of celebrating our salvation. In the uh, chapter four, you had the song of the angels, which is the song of creation and that we all sing. It's a good song, but what an infinitely better song we have to sing as redeemed people, the new song of heaven. It's the song of salvation, a song that um, really amplifies our God's mercy and his grace and his love poured out to us through Christ. And I love that point when the elder says, do not weep, the lion of Judah has triumphed. Today, I know you may come in here and think, uh, maybe going through a tough time. And maybe today, this is what you need to hear. Just to once again hear... um, Those words, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, speaking of Jesus, has triumphed. And guys, we we live in the battle, don't we? We've received, Jesus came and initiated his kingdom. It's it's here. But we live in the already and the not yet. The, The story is playing out and we live on a battleground. And yes, there is evil and yes, there is suffering, but we As we live and as we follow him and as we fight the good fight, we fight not for victory but from victory and with the hope that we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords walking with us and we have the hope that he is coming again. And it will be just as he said. Do not weep. We know the story plays out and I hope this makes you... Uh, thirsty to read, the, I had to read the rest of the story this week, Revelation chapter 6 to 20, he unrolls the scroll and it gets bad here on earth, but in 19, the king of kings steps on, or climbs upon a white horse, king of kings, lord of lords on his thigh, and he defeats sin, death, the devil forever, and then he ushers in an eternal morning, this dark night fades into Revelation 21, 22, the new heaven and the new earth where he will wipe away every tear for good. (laughs) And it's coming. That's our hope. Do not weep. The Lion of Judah has triumphed. The caption that you could hang over this scene is a new song of celebration. 
Before we uh, move on to the final scene, though, I have to ask, can, can, you, can we all sing this song? Pretty sure most of us in this room can. You, have, you belong to him. You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. But if you're here today and, like, I, I can't sing this song. I, I have not received the gift of redemption or salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I just invite you to, to trust him today. The picture of an open door remains. He, he has opened the door to heaven and invites anyone who will trust in him to come. It's humbling. It means understanding that we have sinned against God and in our pride gone our own way and deserve his wrath, his judgment. But Jesus came, lived the life we could not, died in our place, and promises forgiveness and the way back into life with God and, and paradise through faith in him. And I invite you into that and, and trust him today, and he will um, give you the gift of eternal life. Well, as we come to this fourth scene, I don't know how it gets better um, than this new song of celebration, but it does. And so this is where really we're headed today, and this is where we become participants. And I'll, I'll warn you, the contents of this scripture that we're about to read may make you homesick for home, homesick for heaven, but it's a good homesick. But I invite you to just feel and, and hear what John felt in these moments. This is the anthem of heaven. Verse 11 of chapter 5, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, thousands, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living, living creatures and the elders. This afternoon, I don't know how many, 80,000 people will gather Lucas Oil to watch the Colts, and they'll be loud, you know, on third down. Humans are loud when we get together, but angels, 80,000 times 80,000 times 80,000 times 80,000 of these glorious beings. When somebody saw an angel, Mary fell on their face. They wanted to worship. And what did the angel have to keep saying? Not me, worship him. One angel drops a human. Millions of angels, glorious beings encircle this throne. And in a loud voice, they're saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain. Seven superlatives, they stack them to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. And then, to the created order, he says, I heard every creature. So, everything that's been made in heaven and on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, let it be, let it be. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What is our fitting response to this moment, to the glory of God? And it's what the elders are doing right there, isn't it? It's falling down and it's worship, 
Worship is telling God you are infinitely valuable, more valuable than anything else in all of creation. The word that comes out of these psalms, you see it again and again, is worthy. Worthy. You are worthy. Today, as we join the anthem of heaven, the roar of heaven, is he worthy? (laughs) He is. He is worthy of our song. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our service. He is worthy of our our love and our devotion and our gratitude and our resources. He is worthy of our every breath, isn't he? He is worthy of our sacrifices. He is worthy of all that we can give him now for every moment into eternity. Because he is the one who created us. He's the one who sustained us. He's the one who redeemed us, loves us. The love that will never end. And he is the one who deserves our worship. Does God need our worship? Oh, no. No. Who needs worship? It's us. It's that return to the sweet sanity. We were made to find our greatest joy in him worshiping him, inexpressible joy. And so let's join creation now in in the anthem of heaven, worshiping him. Father, as we kneel in your presence and see these elders fall, we fall. And the the posture of our hearts before you is total submission, gratitude, and inexpressible joy to know you, to be loved by you, And to just tell you again, you are worthy. We praise you and we offer all of ourselves to you. Gratitude and love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.